You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here, you can take a break. I'm a hot air balloon that can go to space. With the air like I don't care, baby, by the way. Talking this and that. Give me all you got, and baby, don't hold back. I should probably warn you, I'll be just fine. Yeah, yeah. No offense to you, don't you waste your time? Because I'm happy, clap along.
Good morning, Kensington. Thanks for joining us today. We're so glad you're here as we continue with our series reveal. I'm Drew Daniels, director of 1829, our young adults community. I wanna invite you to two upcoming opportunities, which I'm very excited about. First, I'd love to extend an invitation to the young adults ages 18 through 29 within our Kensington community and beyond. Our annual 1829 Rise Retreat is back and it's happening soon on the weekend of November 5th through 7th. This weekend away at Spring Hill Camps in Everett, Michigan is a great place to escape the busyness of life, connect with God and meet some pretty cool people. No matter where you are in your faith journey, this weekend is designed for you. We pack a lot of good into a short amount of time. Compelling teachings about God, great music, small group discussions and tons of open activities like sports, zip lines, bonfires, and more. My wife and I hope to see you there. Details and registration at kensingtonchurch.org slash rise. The other invitation I have is for everyone. We have baptisms at all of our campuses on Sunday, November 21st. That's less than a month away. Baptism is something we get really excited about around here. It's a step of faith and a profound moment of surrender to Jesus. You rise up out of the water with new life. I have observed dozens of baptisms over the years and I love hearing the personal stories that surround all of the people and their faith journeys. So if you feel the tug to be baptized as an outward sign of what Jesus is doing on the inside, find out more and register at kensingtonchurch.org slash baptism. Let's return now to week three of our series reveal as we investigate another common misconception about God and his nature. Thanks for being here. Morning, everyone. Welcome to Kensington. You guys sitting here in the seats and those of you who are viewing online, we're so glad you're here. My name's Tracy Henkel. I'm the discipleship director here at our campus, and I love to get to tell you about some things that are going on around here. So I want to tell you about three things that I love. They are local outreaches here, but I love that they are connected to our values. We have seven core values, and two of them are community and generosity, and these three local outreaches really exemplify them. The first one is McRest. You've been hearing about that. It's Macomb County Rotating Emergency Shelter Team. And we just ended a week of housing some guests who are in transition, 60 men, women, and children, that we have the pleasure of housing them and getting to know them, hearing their stories, feeding them, an army of volunteers it took. What's really cool is when we get to hear their stories. And this week, there were quite a few, but one I want to share with you that really touched my heart they're in a place of transition. They're looking for housing. And this one gentleman and his wife, we got to see them leave, take their things, and go to the house that they were going to have for the first time. And, you know, many of our guests are in these circumstances just by one simple decision by them or someone else. And any of us could be in that same decision. This guy was, when he was younger, he was shot in the head for no reason. He walked into a party store with some friends that he had gone to all of his life. He had been recruited for college football team, was on a fast track to just an amazing life, right? And whatever happened that day caused the, the, uh, the owner to go out and shoot him. And his life was forever changed. And here he finds himself here at McRest. And yet we got to see him transition out. And his wife was saying, man, I'm just so impatient. And he would always be saying, it's God's timing. It's God timing. We just got to hear amazing stories like that. And so... And there's two parts, though. I just shared the guests, but it's also the volunteers, the people who donated things like you or people who served many hours that were there. We get to hear their stories, and many of them serve for the very first time here at Kensington. So we're just grateful for your generosity that we could offer something like McRest for this week. And we're, we're just praying for our guests to just continue to transition into better circumstances. So the next one coming up is this Friday. It's Trunk or Treat. Our K-Kids group team is putting that on, but it's a whole campus is behind it all. And we need two things from you. We need candy. 
We need a lot of candy. So if you'd like to donate candy, you can drop it by today by dropping it off at the desk, or we will have bins outside. We want to make it as easy as possible. We don't want to run out of candy. So we have shared with our part school partners at Seminole Elementary and all of our congregation, that's who's going to be coming here. And we have done this, this event in the past, but we have stepped up our game. We have a hayride. We have a petting zoo, we have bounce houses, we've got food, we've got trunk or treats. So we would love to have you join us. And I especially invite you to fill a trunk, to come and do that. And you might be thinking, oh my gosh, I got to decorate a trunk. Well, my group did that last year. And you know what we did? We literally just grabbed our Halloween decorations out of our own house and kind of threw them around the trunk. And we bought candy and we had a blast. So if you'd like to do that, you do need to register for that online. And you can see the link on here. And we would love to have so many trunks. And if you could just partner with us with that, it's just a couple of hours and so much fun. So that's Trunk or Treat, and that's this Friday, Candy and Trunks. That's what I want you to remember about that. And then coming up is our Thanksgiving baskets. And we have done this for years, and we are anticipating delivering 1,500 Thanksgiving baskets all around Macomb and Oakland County. Isn't that amazing? 1,500 families will be blessed by you. Now, $50, you can participate by either signing up to deliver a basket or you could donate, or you could do both. So $50 will buy them a gift card to buy the food of their choice and a bag filled with non-perishables and sides and things like that. Because we've learned that although we have given turkeys in the past, sometimes they just want to pick out their own favorite foods. And so we get to bless them by delivering a basket. So we would love for you to partner with us with that. And delivering is so much fun. And again, it's a great opportunity, maybe for the first time you've served. It's so easy to just walk up, knock on the door, and hand them a blessing like that. So please consider being a part of our, our Thanksgiving baskets. So that's three things, right? McRest, Trunk or Treat, Thanksgiving baskets. If I lost you at We Need You to Fill a Trunk and Candy, you can go out to the hub to ask questions. That's right in the middle of the lobby. You can't miss it. It's there for people who are brand new. We have a little gift for you, and people have been attending, and they just have a lot of questions. That's our hub, so check it out. Well, we are in week three of our reveal series. And we've been looking at things that we say or hear that we think are from the Bible, but they're really not. And what is the impact on that and how we see our culture, how we view God, things like that. And today we're looking at the idea of blessings, being blessed. And what does that mean to be blessed? Is it just, if I just have enough faith, everything will come together and God will bless me with prosperity and perfect relationships and perfect kids? We kind of heard about that in our opening song, right? It was all about being happy. Could anybody sit still to that song? If you did, there's something wrong with you. You had to be tapping. You had to be bouncing. They did such a great job with that. But the point is, it was illustrating something that isn't really real, right? We never can have everything perfect all the time. What happens if we aren't blessed, if we don't feel blessed? Do we feel cursed? We're going to explore that today and looking at what it really means to be blessed. Craig will be teaching us on that. So before we do that, I would love to invite you to stand up and say hello to the people around you.
found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice to sing some better words. I wish I found some chords in the order that is new. I wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang. I was told when I get older, all my fears will shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. My name's Well, we're just 15 minutes into our time together, and we've taken you on quite a journey, haven't we? Uh, a musical journey, an emotional journey. We started with happy, happy, happy. You're tapping your feet. Some of you I saw actually clapping in rhythm. Wish I could do that. And then stressed. So which is it? Are you happy or are you stressed? Are you both? Are you happy today and stressed tomorrow or vice versa? Isn't that life? And where is God in the middle of all that? And really, what has he promised us? And what does it mean to be blessed? What does the blessed life actually look like? So that's what we're going to be unpacking today. And they've given me 30 minutes to solve this great dilemma. 
as we look at scripture to see what God has to say about the blessed life. Um, before we continue, uh, we do want to take a moment to receive our offering. And as Tracy said, one of our values is generosity. And I have to say, having been back a year in this interim role, I don't think I've ever been around a group of people that are so open-handed. And McCrest is a great example of this week where you served and you gave and we bless people that are having the worst day of their life every day right now. And so we're so grateful that you're on mission with us because we couldn't do it unless we all do it together. So thank you for your giving uh, here online. You can see on your screens the ways that you can give through our website or through the app or if, mail a check-in or if you're here in person, you can leave it on your way out today. But heartfelt thanks for making what we do possible as we bless our own community here of faith, we bless the community around us, and we really bless the world. So, well, every week we've invited a friend of ours, Andrea, um, this will be the third week, to give us a little way to frame what we're talking about today. So this short video will kind of tell you what we're going to try to attract, uh, address today. It's very common to hear religious people speak about being blessed or the blessings of God. We even use the phrase, God bless you with each other. God bless you. The idea is that the blessings of God in our lives communicates that God is so good. Look at my life and how he has blessed me. Good health, kids are doing great, retirement on the horizon, a new job, a new house, relationships are meaningful, etc., etc. And that's where we love to use on all our social media channels, hashtag blessed. In looking at the Bible, the word blessed, or a version of the word blessed, is used over 300 times. So blessed, or a blessing, is definitely something to take note of. I mean, who doesn't love good fortune? I know I do. When we experience some good in our life, the right thing to do is to thank God for his blessings. In the book of James, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So let's give God his due. Hashtag blessed. And Jesus talked about perfect gifts from above when he was giving one of his powerful messages in the book of John. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But what about the times when it seems the blessings have passed us by? You look around and other people appear to be receiving blessings, healings, employment, restored relationships, financial security. Stories on Facebook or posts on Instagram point to the goodness of God, hashtag blessed. But you have nothing to post. You're still waiting for God to do his thing. When you read the words found in the book of James, you have not because you have not asked God. You know that you have asked again and again, and yet still, no blessings. This leads to questions like, do I not have enough faith? Is God withholding blessings because there's sin in my life? It appears some of the words in the Bible set up expectations leading to disappointment. Like when Jesus promised that we will receive a hundred times as much in this present age. A hundred. Talk about hashtag blessed. Like I said earlier, good health, kids prospering, retirement on the horizon, a new job, a new house, meaningful relationships, etc., etc., etc. Hashtag blessed. But what happens when our health takes a hit? Kids start rebelling, money is short, job loss, house is falling apart, and our once meaningful relationships are now fractured. Are we no longer blessed? Are we cursed? Or maybe we just didn't ask in the right way. So as you can see, a lighthearted topic today. It's not going to take too much work. I don't know 
which song you really identify with. And what I would ask you to do as we um, begin the next 30 minutes to try to unpack this and see what the Bible actually says about this is to make sure that you bring your honest heart to this conversation. How are you thinking about your life? How are you thinking about the idea of blessing? Do you feel blessed by God? Have you felt blessed by God? Do you have people around you that talk about God's blessings and they seem not to be coming your way? It's important that we come honestly to this topic. Um, I'm, I'm feeling actually stressed right now more than blessed having to dive into this with you because I know that it, it would be easy to minimize and downplay the reality of the struggles that we have and when we think about blessing, especially when it's not coming to us. And so um, this is for all of us, but I especially want to address those today that you're puzzled by the idea of blessing. You're not sure when God is in it, when he's not in it. When the blessing's not coming, as Andrea said, what does that actually mean? And in fact, I'm just going to take a moment, if you would just join me, just to pray and ask God to teach us today. Um, God, this is, I know this is so important to your heart because in the end it defines how we see you and how we think about you and who you are and what your character is. And so, God, just as we go into Scripture today, as we take an honest look at this, I pray that you would be our teacher, not me, but you would teach through me and that we would all learn about this important topic uh, today together. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so hashtag blessed. If you're close to my age, you never have quite figured out what this whole hashtag thing is. I don't think I've ever hashtagged anything myself. In fact, I know I haven't, but I, know, I do know what it means. I think I know what it means. And if you go on Instagram right now and you look, there are over 100 million, that's right, 100 million hashtag bless posts that are there. And they, they cover a whole variety of things that look like the blessed life, the things that are in the good life. You'll find cars and new children and grandchildren and a new marriage and a wonderful vacation and good food. I'm amazed at how many people post food and that's the blessing. A lot of people love food and it's the new car and it's just, it's the toned body after working out. It's all that stuff. That's the blessed life. In fact, I went on and just randomly picked out two that had the hashtag blessed and I'll show you the two that I found. The first one was this wonderful vacation place. Who would not want to be there in that swimming pool right now instead of where you're sitting right now? And the person there couldn't help but put, you see it there, hashtag Hashtag blessed. And then the other one, it's not surprising that it was food. Someone looking ahead to Thanksgiving at that wonderful meal makes your stomach growl right now, doesn't it? Mashed potatoes and beans and uh, I don't know what all that is in there. Turkey, it looks like, and, and stuffing. Like, that's the blessed life. But, you know, just to put it into context, as Tracy said, this week, every night, we had 60 men, women, and children that don't know where they're going to sleep every night. So they're not looking at vacations. And they're not looking at a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. They're not experiencing that. So are they not blessed? And so how should they think about blessing? How should we think about what blessing is and what it isn't? Um, as Andrea said, over 300 times in the Bible, we have the word or some form of the word blessing. And blessing is defined in, in Scripture very simply. It's receiving God's favor. It's the perception or the idea that to be blessed is to receive the favor of God. But the million-dollar question this morning is, what is the nature of that favor? What is the actual blessing that he has promised us that we should be receiving? And one of the challenges over the years of being a pastor and being a counselor is that people really struggle when it seems like the blessings are not coming and they're trying to sort it out. It seems like scripture promises this. In fact, the idea of prosperity or blessing is not made up out of thin air. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about the prosperity gospel which when I grew up, those were the televangelists that said, if you send in a check, God's going to give you a thousand times more. He's going to prosper you financially, but it, it's not just money. 
its health and its career and its relationships? Has God promised us that if we do our end of the deal right, whatever that end is, that we're going to get all these blessings? Does the Bible actually teach that? And I would say in some cases it seems to indicate that maybe that is how it works. I'm going to just give you one example that I could give of many. This is from the Old Testament. This is a promise to Israel. Hear the promise of blessing in these words. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. That's pretty all-inclusive. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. So that's pretty extensive, isn't it? The blessing of your own, your own family, of your livestock. I don't know how many of you have barns, but he's going to bless your barn and your crops and everything you put your hand to, and he's going to open up heaven. It's just going to pour down. But what happens when it doesn't? It sounds awesome, but can we really count on that? Was that a blank check that God gave us? Is he a genie in the bottle that if we do things right, we're going to get all these blessings? And I know those of you listening here and online can look at seasons of your life where there was no storehouse from heaven pouring down on you. I know many of your stories now, having been here a year, of the travail you've gone through just this last year or two, where the blessings were not coming. So why is this important that we talk about this? I think it's one of the most important things that we could talk about because, as I said, in the end, this gets to the character and nature of God. Who is God? What does he promise me? What does he promise you? What can we count on him for? Some time ago, I was standing in a circle of, of people in the lobby, and some of them knew each other, some didn't. It was just kind of a group came together, and there was a lot of chatter in the group. And um, one, there was a young woman, young mother, holding her baby who was only two weeks old, her daughter. And you could just see the radiant joy coming from her, holding this precious life, the smile. And as she talked, she must have used the word bless about 10 times. Oh, she's such a blessing. Well, she's waking up during the night. That's not a blessing. But having my daughter is such a blessing. And we prayed for her, and God has blessed us. She, they, he, he blessed us with a healthy child, a healthy daughter. We are so blessed, and on and on. And I'm not faulting her. Of course she feels that way. What she didn't know that I knew was around the circle, just a couple people away, was a man and a woman who had shared their journey with me, who had been struggling with infertility. Some of you listening to me, you've been there. You know the pain of that. For years, for them, it's been years. Praying, fasting, pleading with God, just the joy of having a child. Doing all the medical stuff you can do to try to solve this medically. And month after month, year after year, for two, two three years at this point, no baby. So I want you to be her for a moment and him for a moment. And look across this circle and hear this young mom embracing her daughter and saying, we, we are so grateful to God. God has blessed us with this child. How is she supposed to think about that? How is he supposed to think about that? Have we done something wrong? Do we not have enough faith? Is there some curse on us? What's going on here? And I have to tell you, over the years, I've felt that before. I've raised those questions before. And as I said, this is so critical because expectations are everything. In life, 
and in faith to make sure that our expectations line up with reality, with truth. Years ago in New York City, where my wife and I lead a church, it's mostly homeless men and women, but we have some other people who attend, and it's, it's kind of a ragtag group of people in New York City, and one of them um, was an agnostic most of the time, and on his bad days, he was an atheist, and he loved to debate and argue with me about all things, but he came to church, and he would ask questions, and he asked me one time over a cup of coffee, he said, Craig, would you do a series on the matter of what can we expect from God? He said, if I'm going to become a Christian and become a person of faith, what has God absolutely 100% guaranteed me? And he was really asking the question, what does the blessing of God look like? What has God really promised us for certain? And we never did get around to that series. He and I talked over cups of coffee many times about it. But he's really getting at the issue of expectation. You know, those of you that are married, um, this may be of interest to you. The University of Colorado years ago did this study on expectation and what they were looking at is how do expectations when you come into marriage affect, you know, how realistic they are, affect how the marriage goes. And so they did a bunch of research and they came up with a way of looking at, at that. And as you might expect, when you get married, you should have really high expectations. If you don't, you shouldn't get married. But we also know, because there's a common phrase that we will use sometimes, I'm going to let you finish it for me. Well, it looks like the honey moon is over. There you go. The honeymoon is over, which means no matter how realistic you are, there's going to be some disappointment and you're going to have to make some adjustments. You're going to have to learn to grow. I've been 36 years and my wife and I are not done disappointing each other. I assure you, especially me. You just talked talk to her about this last week. <laughs> no, please don't. Um, but there's a way that they described it. I want you to see on the screen this paradigm. They call it the expectation to alienation paradigm. And I'm not here to talk to you about marriage. I want to sh show you how this happens in our faith journey as well. So the expectation with God would be he's the genie in the bottle. He's going to give me all my heart's desire. If I can just have enough faith or do whatever right, everything's going to turn out okay. That's the expectation that we often begin with. We sometimes oversell what God has promised us in this life. He's given us great promises, and we're going to go there in a little bit. But we oversell that part of it. And so then when God doesn't come through, we can't help but be disappointed. And then just like in marriage, the disappointment can lead to hurt and anger, resentment, bitterness, and finally at the very end, alienation. Or in marriage, they call it divorce. Over the years, I've seen in my work as a pastor, as a counselor, this happened to people relative to God. That they expect something, the blessings aren't coming, they start with a happy song, they end with a stress song. They went from blessing, distressing, and they're not sure where God is in it, and they don't understand God, and they hear the chatter around them about God's blessings, and it's not coming their way, and it seems sometimes like it piles on. And so they're confused, and they go to alienation, and it's almost a divorce from God. They walk away sometimes, or they wall their heart off because they're afraid to trust, because God doesn't seem to be coming through. And so it's very important that we have some resolution of this, because otherwise we're going to live in suspicion of God, alienation, even divorce from God. And I believe that when we place everything good in life under the umbrella, umbrella of this is God's specific blessing, then what does that say to our friend or our neighbor or the stranger that overhears a conversation in terms of their own blessings that seem to have not come? So what does the Bible actually teach about this? I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to look at that right now. And we're going to do it by the way of looking at a man by the name of Asaph. He wrote Psalm 73. I see the Psalms as a, a kind of journal where they were writing down their experience, uh, some experience in their life in, in relationship to God. And Asaph went through a very, very difficult time. 
relative to the very thing we're talking today about blessing and about where God is in the difficulties of life when the blessings don't seem to be coming. And here's how he begins Psalm 73. He starts off by saying something very positive. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so he affirms God's goodness, but now he rewinds and tells us, gives us a peek into a difficult situation that he was in. And I want to ask you as we see these words to ask yourself, honestly, have you ever felt that way? The way Asaph felt. Do you feel that way today? He says, um, but as for me, looking back now, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. All right, let's get some empathy going for Asaph. What he was doing is something that's very easy and common for us to do. He was working hard to follow God, to be a godly man. Not perfect, but that was his desire. And he doesn't articulate where the suffering was, but clearly things weren't going well in his life. And then he stood back and he looked around. And he says, well, Joe over here doesn't even believe in God or care about God. And wow, he, he got a promotion and he bought that new car and they're getting a new roof put on their house and I've lost my job and I may lose my house. God, what are you doing? Surely in vain I followed you. See, hear the alienation? He's bitter. He's just being honest. This is what I see. It's like, I thought you reap what you sow for good or for bad. If you sow bad, you're going to get bad. If you sow good, you're going to get good. I'm sowing good, I'm getting bad. They're sowing bad, they're getting good. Or the idea of karma, which, you know, I spend some time in India every year, and that karma defines their culture, it defines their religion. You're living the life, whatever suffering you have, because you deserve it. And if you do well in this life, your karma will get better, and you'll have a better life when you're reincarnated. That's the whole basis of their, how they look at life. And of course, as Christians, we wouldn't say there's karma, but we do. It does seem like we're supposed to be getting a better deal if we're doing, if we're really trying hard. And Asaph went through this period where it wasn't going well. Now, everything in his journey in this one chapter of Psalm 73, and we're only looking at a part of it. I would encourage you, if you have time this week, to look at the whole psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms. But there's a hinge point right in the middle, and we're going to look at it right now. This is the key to everything that we're going to say moving forward in the rest of the time that we have. He says, um, when I understood all, it was deeply troubled, troubling to me until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. In this case, he understood their final destiny. He understood that there was more to the story. Now, when it says he entered into the sanctuary of God, it doesn't mean that he came to a, a, a building or a room or a cathedral or a church. The idea of sanctuary is he came into the presence of God. He needed to have a paradigm shift. He needed to get reoriented about this whole idea of blessing, which is what we're trying to do in our little bit of time together this morning, is see if we can't reorient ourselves to understand what does blessing actually mean? What is the blessed life? I'm guilty of saying God bless you all the time. I've said it all my life. I sent a bunch of thank you notes out to some of you this week, and if you got one, it said God bless, and then I signed my name. What does that actually mean? What are the blessings of God? That's what we're going to try to unpack in the time that we have left today. 
What has God actually promised us? And if we continue in Asaph's story, he spills it out. So remember, he came into the sanctuary of God. I'm going to say a little bit at the end in terms of what we might do to help us as we struggle with this idea of blessing or not blessing. But he went into the sanctuary of God, and then he writes down his perspective now. This is a shift that happened for him. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That's the alienation. Now, in these verses, I've, I've added a word. I, I've put the word blessing in for the rest of this psalm because I want you to see where Asaph came to see the blessing of God. And it was not in the material world. He says, yet I am always with you. Blessing. What would it be like to have the God of the universe, the creator, with you today, all day long? His presence. You hold me by my right hand. He's just not with you. He's got solidarity with us. He holds us by his right hand. That's blessing. You guide me with your counsel. Anybody need some counsel today? Some wisdom, some discernment? He promises us that. That's a blessing. And then he says, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Which is a reminder, by the way, that the greatest blessing of all is that Jesus, we'll come to this in a moment, conquered death for us. So Asaph understood Jesus hadn't come yet, but he understood that the God who created him didn't create him for just one lifetime. He was created for eternity. So when your time comes, when my time comes, and we breathe our last breath, and we, our heart beats its last beat, in that nanosecond that we can't even measure, we are face to face with the God of love. And now the story really begins. The eternity. Guy is not seen, ears not heard what God has prepared for us. And so that reality, that eternal perspective came to Asaph and he said, oh, this story right now has some bumps and bruises and it doesn't make sense and it's hard, but God has taken care of this. He's going to redeem all of it one day. And so that eternal perspective came to him and that was a blessing. And then he finishes the psalm and years ago, uh, too many years ago, I can't remember how long ago, I, I memorized this passage and then when I looked at it again this week, I realized that I'd forgotten it, so maybe I'm going to memorize it again, but it's such an amazing declaration of what the life of faith looks like and what blessing really is. And again, I've put the word blessing in as you see this on the screen. Asaph asked a question, whom have I in heaven but you? Which is expressing his conviction, his longing that God was enough. God was enough. And then he says, earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's blessing. If we and I could really get to the point where there's nothing more on earth we desire more than God himself, that would be the blessed life. And by the way, it's not wrong to desire a child or to desire a spouse or a new job or financial stability or health. That's not wrong to pray for that and desire that. But if those things become first and foremost, then when they're not there, where's God going to be? And so he said, it's your presence. It's my desire for you. And then he says, my heart and flesh may fail. That sounds like trouble, right? It's going to happen. God is the strength of my heart and my portion, and there's the word again, forever. See, strength from God is a blessing. Why do we need strength? We need strength because things are happening to us and we feel weak, but God shows up in those things and gives us a strength that's not our own. That's a blessing. And then he says, it is good to be near God. That's what it meant when he came into the sanctuary in the presence of God. He experienced the nearness of God. What would it be like for us to truly experience all that we're doing every day and everything that comes to our senses and our work and our job and our relationships, but to experience the nearness of God in all of that. 
Could, you, could we really have a life? That would be a blessed life to experience the nearness of God. And then he says, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. That's blessing. That's a, he's the one we run to when the storm is raging around us. He's our refuge. We go to him. That's blessing. And then finally, he says, I will tell of your great deeds. And I love this because when he was alienated from God, he couldn't say anything good about God. He'd be the guy that you don't want to get around if you're trying to figure things out because he's telling you how bad it is. And then he shifted his perspective and he said, I want to tell others about God, which is really missional. It's a missional life. The first time you see the word blessing in the Bible is in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, where God calls Abraham and he says, you're going to, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other nations. It's never meant to be contained. And so having experienced the reality of God, his nearness, his strength, his provision, his wisdom, all that he was giving him and the promise of eternity, he said, I have to tell other people about this God. The one that I was bitter about a little while ago, I now want to be the storyteller. I want to go tell people about this God. And so the Bible actually, through the, I think through the story of Asaph, gives us a roadmap to understand. Now, in the little bit of time I have left, what I want to do is now catalog some specific blessings Going back to my friend's questions, what can you absolutely count on? What can I count on from God? Guaranteed, he's not going to disappoint, it's going to happen. And there are so many in the scriptures, and they don't, by the way, have anything to do with the material world. They all have to do with the things that Asaph was talking about. But let's just unpack a few of these right now. This is the true nature of God's blessing. By the way, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but I was thinking about the word blessed as it shows up in Matthew. If you know the Sermon on the Mount and what we call the Beatitudes, Jesus begins it by saying, blessed are the poor. Wait, really? How can that be a blessing? Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn and weep. Blessed are those. Jesus turned it upside down. He said the true blessed life, the life of his kingdom, was not about what you have and you don't have in this life. It's about the blessings of the kingdom of God in our lives. But some specific things just to share with you really quickly about blessings. Um, in Psalm chapter uh, 119, we see these words. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Now, by the way, there's no human being that have ever done that. What he just said, blameless, according to the law, keep your statutes, seek him with all your heart. But what he was saying is that when we orientate ourselves toward God, blessings come. And here's how they come. They come because we, we avoid the pitfalls when we walk our own way away from God. You guys know the Ten Commandments? $500 for anyone that can see them right now. Just kidding. But he said he could. You, you see me after. Let's see how many you get. Um, are the Ten Commandments God trying to kill our fun, spoil our life? They're actually the opposite. There's a guy that said, he wrote a book called The Tender Commandments. You'll see a picture of it up there because I love the way the cover looks. The Ten with the DR, Tender Commandments. He believes that the commandments were one of the greatest expressions of God's love for us. Because they're the owner's manual. When we live according to design, we run well. If you put the right kind of gas in your car, it's going to run well. That's how the Ten Commandments work. Think about what happens when I lie at the workplace. I'm setting a trap for myself. I'm going to get in trouble. If I cheat, if I steal, if I'm unfaithful in my marriage, all the things that we as human beings can get drawn into, we bring our own destruction. And so the blessed life, the psalm writer was saying, is that when we walk in the ways of God, blessings come into our lives because we avoid all those things that we would bring on ourselves. And then in Jeremiah chapter 17, we're going to have a song at the end of our service that sings about confidence in God and his faithfulness. But he says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
When we truly, men and women, can put our confidence in God, our faith in him, and we can trust him no matter what's going on around us, there is blessing that comes. It's a blessing of peace and a sense of security and well-being, and it is well with my soul. Even when it's raging around us, that's the blessed life. One who is cultivating in the sanctuary, in the presence of God, a relationship of trust that's there. What a blessed life. But the pinnacle of all of this is found, I believe, in the words of both Paul and Jesus we're going to see now. The biggest blessing that God has given to us that nothing can touch is this. In Romans 4, Paul puts it this way. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Like how in the world do we measure that blessing? And as people of faith, if you're someone that has identified with Jesus and you've made the decision to live for him and follow him, we can take this for granted so easily. You know, I got, I got pulled over for speeding. I know that shocks you, <laughs> right? Because as pastors, we never do anything wrong. I got pulled over for speeding and I was guilty, man. And I knew how many miles per hour I was guilty. And the county sheriff came up to the door, asked for my stuff. I gave it to him. He walked back and I'm thinking, how big is this fine going to be? And he came back and he handed it back and he said, slow down. That's such a minor thing. You know how much joy I felt? (laughs) I was guilty and I was set free. So the God of the universe, through the person of Jesus, has said to you, I love you. I know you're broken. You are forgiven. Let's not even talk about it. I walked, he walked away and got in his car. Like, if we have that, isn't that enough? And then we have eternity because the other part that he, what Jesus did for us is he defeated death for us. So yeah, there's hardship. There's, I don't want to minimize the struggles that many of us are in this morning, but you have a God who's for you. We have a God who loves us. We have a God unlike any other human being. There's nothing we can ever do that will separate us from that love. And Paul identified that. And then I love, you know, Paul, there's so much in Paul about this that I had to pick which ones to share because I love the one where he says, I've learned to be content in any circumstance, to have a lot and to have nothing. See, he's not looking for hashtag blessing. I got enough food. I got enough this or that. He said, I've learned to be content. How? Through Jesus. But this is the one I chose to share in Philippians 7. This is one of these long run-on sentences that if you wrote this in your English class, you'd get an F. But Paul can't stop talking or writing. Um... Here's what he says, but whatever were gains to me, and Paul was a big shot before he came to Jesus, respected, got the credentials, the degrees, um, then he came to Jesus and his life blew up. But he says, Every, everything that were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Maybe you've heard this before. In the original Greek, it doesn't say garbage. It says something else. It's a word I can't say in church. I'll give you the cleaned up version, dung. But you know the other one. This is PG, rated PG, so I can't say it. Imagine Paul, when he's trying to look at what he lost compared to what he gained in Jesus, that's the only word that comes to his mind. That's all garbage. That's dung. Compared to the worth of knowing Jesus and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God based on faith, meaning that God now declares each of us, because of Jesus, righteous. No guilt, no shame, forgiveness, eternity, 
declared righteous right now in all of our brokenness. So to my friend, I would say, this is, you, you can count on this. And I don't know about you, but I think it's a pretty big deal that we have this. Now Jesus, we'll end with this. Um, Jesus made a promise that you can count on. But it's not one we typically think of. In fact, I've done this with a smaller group. I'm not going to do it here today because we'd be here all day. But I've, I've said to a group of people, yell out some promises of God that are in, in the Bible. And you can, it takes a long time. You, there's a lot of promises of God. No one has ever yelled this one out, ever. I've done this many, many times. No one has ever yelled out this promise, and for good reason when you hear it. Here's what Jesus said in John 16. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. There's a promise of God. In this world, you, Craig, you, Joe, Kathy, Brian, Brenda, Susie, in this world, you will have trouble. Take that to the bank. They say the only certain things are death and taxes. Just add the word trouble to that. In this world, you will have trouble. Where's the blessing of God? The promise of trouble. Well, in this verse, that's the middle phrase. There's three phrases in this, just this one verse, and I want you to see this. Because that phrase is, on either side of it, has a wonderful statement of another promise. Here's the first promise. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's a huge blessing. It's the blessing of peace that only Jesus can give when we come into the sanctuary of God, when we come into his presence, that quiets all the noise around whatever we're going through that's painful and difficult and struggling and we're wondering. He says, in this world you have trouble, but in me you have peace. And then the last phrase, you can see it there, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the end, he is the victor, and we are, as his followers, victorious with him. And so let's just review real quickly. What are the promises of God that we can count on? What can we expect? We can expect that he is with us, that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he's forgiven us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will give us wisdom, discernment, who will reach down with his righteous right hand when we're down, and he will lift us up. He will never abandon us. He will give us his peace that doesn't even make any sense. And when all that is done, having been forgiven and loved deeply by God, when we breathe our last breath, we just begin the celebration, the party that goes on forever without end. Is that not a good deal? Amen. All right. I mean, I know we're not the Baptist church I grew up in, but can we say amen to that? Amen. Can we put our hands together for that? All right. So let me just say this. Not wanting, not knowing the struggles you're in, any of you individually, or at least most of you, but having lived life, I can imagine. And I don't want anything I said today to minimize the pain and the struggle that you're in. But what I want to say is that if we can get our eyes off of that, if we can manage our expectations and look to what he has promised us, then that applause and those amens have substance to it. It's a really big deal. But the way we have to get there is we have to live, learn to live. I have to learn to live better in the presence of God. I had to learn it this week. I got some bad news in New York. I, I'm splitting my time between here and New York. And our rent is getting jacked way up. More than what my mortgage was. The increase is more than what my mortgage was when I lived in Michigan. So we're going to have to move somewhere else in Brooklyn or, or whatever. And I, I immediately went to the stressed. That song. I went there. Immediately, that's where I went. And I know my tendency is to just cascade into that and just get stressed out, wonder where God is. And so I made the decision last this last week every day that I'm going to get up a little bit earlier before I have to start work and I'm going to sit with God, alone with him, with a blank sheet of paper and my journal in front of me and just 
be with God and listen, come into his sanctuary, his presence. I cannot tell you what a great week I had. I had to do it every day. Because something about the night, when I sleep at night, all that seems to go away. I wake up in the morning and it's just like, oh, doom and gloom. But then I came into the sanctuary of God. And I experienced his presence. And I remembered what he's done for me and what he has promised me. And that was enough. The problem's not solved yet. It's still there. But it's a rhythm of life of pressing into these realities and embracing the spiritual truths that nothing can touch, nothing can take away from you. And so here's how we're going to finish this part up. And then we're going to spend some time through music directing our hearts and worship to God. But I want to pray a blessing over us. And I'm going to try to not be as flippant and casual uh, as I have been with the God bless you language that I use a lot as a pastor. That seems like the thing to say, oh, God bless you. But I'm going to pray a blessing over us. I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your head um, and just let this wash over you. These are the things, everything, every statement I made is in, in the form of a prayer is asking for us to embrace the true blessings of the life that God has promised us. And so God, I pray that we would know the blessing of your presence. Jesus, that you are with us always. God, I pray that we would experience the blessing of the depth of your love for us that knows no bounds, that is unconditional forever. God, I pray that we would embrace the blessing of your forgiveness and your grace, which we need every day. God, I pray that we in your strength would know the blessings of walking in your ways. And when we fail, the blessing of feeling your righteous right hand lift us up. God, I pray that we would know the blessing of experiencing your peace when there should not be peace. But it's a blessing of the gift that you give to us because you are with us. God, I pray that we would live secure in your promise and provision of eternal life. God, I pray that we would be able to cling to you all the more when the material things of this world are not working out. God, I pray that we would live each day with the certainty that you are with us and you are for us, that you are all in with us, and nothing in this life can ever change that. Jesus, you are the blessed life. Amen. So I will
Isaiah 41.10 says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so as we talked about so many different things, I, I want you to leave understanding that although your life may not seem perfect or every situation isn't knit together just how you want it, one thing can stand true. And that's that our God is with us and he's for us and he's fighting for us and he's gonna continue to strengthen you. And so we wanted to go out understanding that and declaring how faithful our God is. So I wanna invite you to stand and join us in this last worship moment of understanding how faithful our God is.
You know, it's so important that we gather together to do what we just did. To stand, to lift our hands if that was comfortable doing that for you, and just to affirm to our hearts and our soul these truths about God because there are so many other voices out there, voices of accusation, of doubt. All of that's out there, all that noise, and so to come together and to be led and to the heart of God as we have been today. By the way, the word Jaira, after the first service, someone said, who are we singing to when we said Jaira? And I said, well, that, that's a word that Abraham shared with his son Isaac when he was teaching him about God. And it's a Hebrew word that means provide. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And what he provides are all the things we've looked at this morning, which is why we can have confidence in his faithfulness, because he is faithful to do what he promised us he would do. And those are the things that matter most, both for this life, but forever. So I hope you've been blessed today by being here and that you will go out and have a great week. And we'll see you back here as we wrap up this series next week. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.